0: Welcome and thank you for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. I'm Jimmy Bechtel, the Vice President of Site Engagement for the Society. SCRS Talks allows our partners and those that we work closely with to take a few minutes to address issues of industry concern, share exciting achievements, and learn more about our extensive community. Today, we have David Volcano, the Vice President of Research Compliance and Integrity with HCA Healthcare, and SCRS's current Honorary President. Here to share and talk with us a little bit more about document storage and record retention challenges that the sites are facing in today's modern clinical trial times.
1: Yeah, Jimmy, thanks a lot. It's great to be back and talking about this topic. It's a very timely topic. We're hearing more and more from sites about this, especially with the whirly gig of, of countries starting to change their regulations and GCP starting to think about changing their expectations of this topic. So It's definitely discussion worthy and something that should be on all of our agenda in 2024.
0: Well, and, you know, with the shift that we've seen recently from paper to electronic records, it's really important for sites to understand what that landscape is and what they're signing up for with long term record storage. So could you start us off maybe talking a little bit of how the industry evolved? Since the era of paper records and throwing them all into boxes and shipping them off somewhere to some long-term document storage place, then, you know, part of that was some of the challenges sites face with electronic record storage. Absolutely.
1: I mean, you know, a lot of these regulations, like when you look at the FDA regulations on it, were written back in those days. And in the late 90s was when they were written and we did it all paper, threw it in a box and stuck it somewhere, forgot about it, you know, that, that seemed to be it. But nowadays it's just not the case. Unfortunately, a lot of these are regulations and expectations are, are renewing and and not seemingly thinking of electronic records, which is a bigger issue, but the site's got to think about if they are no longer just throwing stuff in a box, uh, if the records are electronic. The Throwing hard drive or thumb drives in a box or whatnot may not be enough anymore. When you had paper and you were able to recreate the study, you could read that. But when you have thumb drives, hard drives, things along those lines, it introduces a lot of new issues with with being able to recreate that study. So fundamental difference of saying, oh, look, here's a thumb drive versus being able to recreate the study. So a number of things that we've talked about is is regarding the storage media itself. So you have media degradation. These things don't last forever. If you're going to store them, if you know what you're doing, there are NIST and ISO standards for storing things like hard drives or optical media like disks, thumb drives, and things along those lines. Humidity logs, temperature logs, things along those lines, if we're going to store them to those particular standards. The other thing is that they do degrade. Uh, if you have moving parts, like on a hard disk drive, we say, oh, we'll just you know store them on a hard drive. What bother is that? Well, your manufacturer only warrants them for about three to five years. They say after three to five years, they're going to start to degrade. So if you have to store something on a hard drive for 25 years, you better make plans to replace that hard drive eight to nine times and do a validated transfer to that hard drive. People talk about, oh, well, I don't have to worry about the hard drive. I'll just store it on the cloud. Well, you got to make sure your cloud provider is doing that, number one. Number two, now you're into the world of cybersecurity and what's the cost of cloud storage. Cost of cloud storage is going up, up, up. Cybersecurity, up, up, up. Insurance for cyber issues, up, up, up. So vast increasing cost in the, the storage media. Then we have hardware obsolescence. There's the old famous story about the U.S. census was done on some computers back in the 1960s. And less than a decade later, they says, oh, let's read that tape. And there are only two machines left in the world that could read that tape. One was in Japan and the other was in the Smithsonian. So we we have this today. You know, people are talking about, oh, 25 years record storage. Well, if we had to recreate a study from 25 years ago, 1998, the, one of the standards of large storage was called an orb drive. Well, orb went out of business in, I think, 2001. So if we were to recreate that study from an orb tape, we'd have to go on eBay to find an orb drive doesn't run on modern computers the plug doesn't plug in so we have to find a windows 98 computer to be able to plug in this install the software to recreate that study people say well yeah well we've evolved Centorb drives well yeah we went from floppy disks to cd roms they've come and gone usb has come and gone now we're on like the third generation of usb i just bought a new laptop it doesn't have any regular USBs, it's all in USB-C now. So what's that going to be 10, 15, 20 years from now? Then we have software obsolescence. While things like PDF and JPEG still seem to be around and relatively stable, some of these systems are proprietary systems. So it's a vendor that's the the data, but I have to contract with the vendor to read that data. So what happens if that cost goes up year over year? What happens if that vendor goes out of business? And then for God's sake, password management, geez, I can't remember my password 25 days, maybe even 25 hours sometimes. How are we going to remember 15, 20, 25 years and manage that with cloud media or local storage media when employees are coming and going, retiring and whatnot, and then how are we going to inventory this? So yeah, a whole different world when we're talking about electronic archiving versus paper.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot, obviously, David, to tease out of there, and and what we generally hear from the sites is that fact of that a lot of it's just so unknown. There's so many unknowns that are associated with record storage. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know what the sponsors and CROs are going to ask us, and we don't ultimately receive the financial compensation for that in the end. So thank you for bringing up a lot of those points, and I know you were able to help us present some of this data at the Global Site Solutions Summit in the Site Landscape Survey, where we saw 68% of sites said that they don't want to be in the record storage business. They're not here to be storing records. They don't want to, I guess, quote unquote, make money doing this. But they're unfortunately not always willing to walk away from studies as a result of that, right? We see them kind of grit and bare their teeth on and they may accept those terms despite the risk and despite some of those unknowns. So I guess let's start by talking about what should sponsors take into account when deciding whether to push these obligations related to record storage onto sites.
1: Well, I think they need to understand and listen to the sites on this. I mean, 68% of them said that they they have no interest in being in this business as, as a record archivist for the sponsor. And when we're saying that, to be clear, we're not saying that they don't want to meet their regulatory obligations, which are much shorter. We're talking about situations when the site has met their regulatory obligations and they have no business needs for those records as a site. And they're only holding them to be a record storage vendor for the sponsor or or the CRO because the sponsor or CRO has business needs for them. And for some reason, they don't want to put it with their tried, true, and, and trusted storage vendor. We talked to sites. We know our regulatory obligations in our individual countries. The survey on the sites, on the landscape survey was, you know, if there were no Rules or contracts? How long would you keep the records for? And forty-four percent said less than two years. Twenty-three percent said more than two, probably, but less than five. Only nine percent said they would keep them like fifteen years or 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 more in those scenarios. So so we see we don't really want to be in this business on a voluntary basis. And and many sites use the word "I was bullied into this" by the sponsor, or you know, gee, I. I, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't willing to walk away. I got a patient here that this is the last negotiating thing, and I can't sit here and tell a patient, gee, I know you want to be in this trial. We've got everything done. But the sponsor wants us to keep these records 15 years, and we're just not set up to do that. That's an uncomfortable conversation to have with a patient. The patient will say, help, put me on the study. I'll keep the records. But scientists need to understand why the sponsors in zero thinks we're going to be great at this. We We don't really know, and we would love to have that information. I mean, if sponsors want the information, we don't believe the site is the place to do this. Uh, we think that there are existing mechanisms to do it. We have a lot of sponsors that say, oh my gosh, no, we can't hold the investigator site file. There have to be separate. We can't have access to that. And then later in the study, when the study's over, that very same sponsor will go and send us a thumb drive and say, look, here's your data. Go ahead and, and, and store it. It's like, well, if you can't have access to it, why are you sending us the data from the EDC or or the whatnot that we have uh, filled out or completed?
0: That's right, David. I think that's an important point to emphasize as well, is that such are not saying we don't need to do what we need to do. We just don't want to be in the business of doing this. We don't want to have to do it beyond what our legal obligations are to store some of these things. And I think that's a really important distinction because it obviously has a tremendous Effect to some of the points that you made and goes to underpin some of those challenges that you had brought up. But what about then the sites? What should sites know or ask before agreeing then to be someone who's uh, an organization rather that stores those records uh, for the sponsor?
1: I mean, the first thing a site's got to understand is their regulatory obligations and their business desires for these records as a site. And Mingo goes about it, once their regulatory and their business as a site are over, they're now entering into being in the in the record archiving business. If you don't want to be in this business, then you need to push back. And it's not pushing back to be annoying. It's really in the best interest of those records. You're telling the sponsor, I don't know how to do this. I'm not in this business. It's really, if you want those records after my obligations are over, I need to send them to you. So knowing your regulations and knowing to push back when you're pushing back with a sponsor or negotiating that you are going to keep them, even with regulatory stuff. Watch out for danger language such as, oh, the site will not destroy the records without permission from the sponsor. You know, you may never get that permission and they've kind of enslaved you into keeping those records in perpetuity. Don't get bullied into, oh, but we'll pay you. You have to recognize that accepting this is not a prize, it's a job, and you have to be prepared to meet this job. As far as money, you have no idea what your costs are going to be in the future on this, so you need to have the intelligence on this. And just simply because they offer to pay doesn't make you magically capable of keeping the records. We always joke that a sponsor offers to pay, and we say, well, hey, come cut my lawn. And they say, well, I'm not in a lawn cutting business. This is up. No, now you have to because I'm going to offer to pay you. So just because they offer to pay doesn't necessarily make you magically capable and willing to enter into it. I mean, in in fact, it's kind of bizarre. We get that counter argument a lot of, oh, we'll we'll pay you. So now we have to do it. Uh, No other place in a protocol would we tell a sponsor, we can't do this or we don't know how to do this. And they say, oh, well, we'll just pay you money. And then it magically happens. In fact, we have the opposite. We say, "Hey, hey, we know how to recruit patients. They says, oh, no, 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 we're not going to give you a recruitment why We're going to contract with a third party because they're professional patient recruiters. So why is record retention any different on that? And then always have the option to confirm the regulatory period is over. Some countries, it's a set of years, 15 years or or two years or something like that. FDA and some other countries have this little floating years of, well, it's it's two years after the product is approved or withdrawn, and you may never know that information. So you should always have in your trial agreements something along the lines of identifying clear communication line to ask, is our, can you tell us if you have withdrawn the drug or whatnot so that we can destroy the records? So is that the address of the correspondence in the CTA? Is it a designated email address that the sponsors have set up? And many sponsors are setting up designated emails for this generally give about 30 to 60 days prior to destruction of saying, let us know. But if we don't hear from you in 30 to 60 days, whatever you want to pick, then we're going to go ahead and destroy the records. Now, if you want to be in this business, then understand your obligations and take them seriously. Don't just sign a contract just to take the money and hope nobody ever comes for the records. You need to learn record archiving, especially in electronic age. And there's organizations out there that offer education and even certification in, in record archiving. So don't just blindly sign it and think that, oh, this is great. I'm going to take a bunch of money and nobody will ever come for the records
0: because it, it's a job, not not a prize. Very interesting, David, and, and super, super valuable. I think a lot of really important tips and things for sites to keep in consideration. And I think it really does, again, I, I it starts with You need to determine what you want to do as a site. You need to understand the path you want to go. You need to understand what your regulatory requirement is as an organization in your given state and or country, and then go from there and really determine whether or not you you want to be in that business or if you don't want to be in that business. And if you've met your obligations and make sure then that the conversations and the agreements that you put in place with your sponsor and CRO partners reflect that appropriately based on what you've determined from that perspective so begin to wrap our conversation up here david how can the industry then strike a balance between the sponsor's goal of maintaining records and what they need to do as the uh, owner of that ip uh and the site's operational capabilities and references. I know you alluded to some of the ways we can do this, but maybe let's talk a little bit more about striking that balance most appropriately and then how the two sides can come together on this.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think we need to have an honest conversation among the stakeholders, both at a macro and a micro level. So at, at large initiatives with SCRS and, and our global impact partners and, and, and other folks, uh, as well as have that discussion locally at the, at the site negotiations Level as to their capabilities. It needs to be an honest conversation with the shared goal of these records want to be available for the sponsor's business reasons. That is our goal. How can we make this happen? And certainly ask that the sponsors be flexible. I mean, our operating hypothesis, at least my operating hypothesis, not speaking for SCRS, HCA, or anybody, is that if I wanted to have records reproduced, say, a decade from now, I I would like them under my control and I know where they are and, and how I can get them. Not sprayed across a wide variety of research sites of varying capacities and inconsistent practices. And, and most say they have no interest or capabilities in doing this. And most of them won't even be in business for, you know, 15, 20, 25 years from now. That, that seems more risk averse. If I know where they are, I'm controlling the inventory and I have those assurances for technology obsolescence and software obsolescence and all that kind of stuff. So I think it starts with that honest conversation, both at a macro level to find some solutions and at a micro level. If sites want to diversify and sponsors feel that that's the better place, great. But sites that can't do this need some alternate solutions. So greater than two thirds of the sites said that they don't want to be in this business, as you quoted earlier. That means about a little less than a third said that they are interested in being in this business. So have that dialogue. If it's important for the sponsors to get those records, see how the site's going to do it, test their capabilities on doing that. And and sites in that equation shouldn't just go, oh my God, yeah, I'll, I'll take it and I'll keep the money and, and hope nobody ever comes for them. And then further with that, as as we mentioned, you know, majority of the site's do not want to be in this business. So what are some solutions? Can we get together either at the micro level in that individual site negotiation or at the macro level? So we had a session on this at the last global conference of bringing this to many sponsors' attentions. True to form, sponsors at the higher level haven't heard of this issue. They haven't heard of the site's pushback on this issue. And they hadn't heard our voice as to reasons why we don't feel that this is appropriate, and records are better kept somewhere. So one one solution that came out was, well, why why are we asking the site to do this anyway? Why why don't we get the sites out of the middle of this and just contract directly with the storage better? I mean, the site doesn't want it; they don't know how to do it. They're telling us they don't know how to do it. We're the ones that sponsor CROs that are going to be needing those records. So we contract directly with IRBs, we contract directly with eSource, we contract directly with EDC, we contract directly. Now we're doing that more and more. Why can't this be the next thing that we contract directly and get the sites out of the middle of it? And if there's some theory that you need to have, even though it's stored at a sponsor's location, that you need a PI or or the site to authorize that release, Mm -hmm. that's fine. You can set up the storage uh, parameters so that the site's not responsible for the inventory or paying for it but can control their release. But in all fairness, make sure that there's backup plans because if they're needing up for 15, 20, 25 years, sites and NPIs aren't going to be around that long. So so again, back to let's have an honest conversation about this with the shared goal of making sure that those records are available for the sponsors for their business needs in the future and come up with some creative solutions on this, especially
0: for the sites that uh, are not capable of doing this. That's a great point, David. And I think that's where the power of organizations like SCRS come into play here is hopefully we can continue to facilitate and emphasize the need of those conversations uh, and bring to the attention our sponsors, zeroes, to ask these questions of the sites and, and make it more of a negotiation and, and a discussion and less of a requirement at at that level. So, you know, David, thank you again for being here with us. Thank you for sharing some insights into this really important issue as we continue our shift into electronics for storing a lot of our patient records. And and again, thanks for being with us today.
1: Always a pleasure and always a privilege to be the voice of the sites in situations
0: like this. Thanks again. For those listening, make sure that you register for upcoming summits being held throughout the year where we have conversations around topics like this for um, several days by visiting our summit page on our website, myscrs.org. While you're on our website. Be sure to also check out the other SCRS publications and resources for the community in the publications and membership portion of that same website. We appreciate everyone's participation in listening to today's program and look forward to having you join us for more great content coming out soon. Thanks for listening.